0: and welcome to the Victory Devotional Podcast. We invite you to take the next few minutes to connect with God, hear His voice, and respond in worship and prayer. Here's today's message. Lord, thank you because we can always hold on to you and you are strong and steadfast on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that you would bring the peace, the calm, into our lives today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. We're continuing on our series on the different miracles that we see in the stories of the Old Testament. And this time, we're going to read from First Samuel chapter 5, beginning from verse 1. It says here, When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon, and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face forward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Then jump to verse 6, The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with two mores, both Ashdod and its territory. This is an interesting story, you know, where God once again reveals that even in judgment, He is miraculous and supernatural. And God was judging an idol of the Philistines. Now, if you remember the story that, that's behind this, you know, the, the Israelites fought against the Philistines. Well, you know, the Philistines is where Goliath came from, right? And, but this particular battle happened during the time of Eli the High Priest and Samuel, the prophet Samuel, was still quite young. But the Philistines overcame the Israelites, captured the Ark of God, and then they brought it to one of the Philistine cities, specifically Ashdod. And then God judged the gods, small g, of that place, which was Dagon. Dagon is uh, in history is portrayed as a half man, half fish. So uh, the upper part is man, and then the lower part would be the tail of a fish. And he was like the god of fertility. Even coming from the Babylonians, eventually became like the god of of crop uh, of, of crops and uh, and harvest. And then eventually even a, a god of fishing. So, but, so as the Ashdod people, Ashdod, Philistines and Ashdod worship Dagon, they put the ark of the God of Israel, trusting and hoping that the same way that the God of Israel, which they've heard has done wonders for the nation of Israel, would also do the same to them, not expecting that the God of the, of the Israelites would eventually judge their own God, which was Dagon. And, you know, think about the story. It's really quite funny how how, how you see you see now the miraculous judgment that came to them. If you follow the story, it would begin with Dagon, the, the statue of Dagon, worshiping, falling face down and worshiping the Ark of God, and then you know they put him back in his place. The following day, it was the same thing, but this time the head was cut off, the hands were cut off, and then tumors began to break out in the people among the people of the city, and God judged them. In a, in in, a, they took a big hit because of that. So. As we, if you would read the rest of the story, they would now bring the Ark of God to Gath, another, the next Philistine city, and then God would judge them too. And then they would bring the Ark of God to Ekron, and God would judge them too, such that as the story ends, they would tell that people actually died. And those who did not, had tumors break out all over their bodies. It's a fearful judgment of God. And it is a fearful judgment of God on idols and idolatry. And that's where we'd like to pick, uh, to pick up the story in terms of its lessons. God judges idols and idolatry. What is an idol? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, at, you know, the way that it was mentioned within the Ten Commandments is that it's anything carved, any carved image, anything to represent, anything from creation. God was telling them, do not set up anything like that. Rather, worship only me an idol you know at least in our in uh, and let me propose a definition is anything that competes with god in relation to our affection and worship and in the old testament that would be actual statues statues no statues <laughs> in our day it could be other things it could be anything that captures your heart that captures your eye that competes with god when it comes to your affection and your worship idolatry now, is the act and attitude of excluding God from our lives by pursuing and worshiping other things. Again, in the Old Testament, it was the actual act of bowing down before these idols. But now, in our day, it's the act of excluding God from our lives and pursuing other things in replacement of God or getting our needs met in illegitimate ways that God would not approve of. That would be idolatry. And as we learned in this story, God judges idols and Idolatry. I like to read from another passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4, where God explains His judgment on idolatry. In verse 23, it says there, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. I'd like for you to take note of that phrase, jealous God. You know, we're going to go back to that in a short while. But this, God illustrates any carved image and the Lord will judge them. For God is a jealous God. God commanded against idolatry. And God, in fact, fought against the idols of the nation. So, for example, when God judged Egypt with the ten plagues, that was a judgment on the different gods of Egypt. When God sent the nation of Israel, to be able to cross the river Jordan and then cross into the promised land, they judged each of the nations. They destroyed each of the nations and God told them God was judging these nations because of their idolatry and their sin. So God commanded against idolatry and God judges the idols of the nations. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say about idolatry, even in the New Testament. You actually might get surprised with this. But even in our time, God challenges our gods as well and continues to expose the idolatries of our day. For example, Jesus would say, you cannot serve both God and money because the pursuit of money or the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Or sometimes we want the approval of others more than God. And then Jesus would say, if you're ashamed of me, I will also be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. Or sometimes we pursue other things instead of our relationship with God. Or we pursue things that would sometimes compete or lessen or dilute the passion that we have for God. And then Jesus would say this, he who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. Sometimes we pursue ourselves. And then Jesus would say, if anyone would like to come to be my disciple, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Sometimes we pursue life, you know, being able to get the most out of life. And then Jesus would say, he who tries to preserve his life will lose it. But he who gives his life for me and for the gospel will preserve it. Sometimes we love this world and the things that this world has to offer. And then in, first, in John, John would say this, that he who loves this world hates God. Finally, we love our families we pursue them, we take care of them, everything we do is for them. But then Jesus, in light of our faith in him, would even say this, that he who does not hate his wife, mother, father, mother, children, is not worthy of me. Whoa, 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 whoa what does that mean? Well, that word hate there literally means relatively, relative to our love for God, there are no close seconds. There is no other love that could compete with our love for God, even our love for our family. Yes, we do love our family, but compared to God, and if we need to make a decision for God that would at some point even put our family, uh, you know, put our family at an inconvenience or would even risk the disapproval of our family, which one would you be willing to choose? And all of these choices, uh, all of these options, uh, options to be able to choose other things aside from God, that would be the idolatries of our day. The idolatries of our day. And the simple principle no close seconds. Nothing that would compete with Jesus' place, with Christ's place at the center of our hearts. You know, major, you know, major, I I guess a question back to you would be what are your idolatries? And how are you finding your temporary solutions from them? How have they become futile for you eventually? You see, because this story that we just read, it points to the absurdity of pursuing other gods and the judgment of God that comes if we continue to pursue these idols and idolatries. Now, this whole deal actually makes you ask a question, an important one. Why? Why does God not want me to pursue other things that would compete with Him and His place in my life, why does God want, not want me to pursue idols and idolatry? Why does God uh, judge? Why does God judge the idol, the idols, and the idolatries of our time? And uh, we'd get a bit of a clue as to the answer to that coming from that phrase that we just read: jealous God. Now, the, in fact, that phrase is repeated again in another verse. This time in Exodus 34. Let me read from verse 13. It says here: You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. That would be like the Asherah poles, poles which are uh, idols, also in their day. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Je- god is a jealous God. Now, I know that, that phrase really puzzled me when I first read that. You know, when I was still uh, beginning as a Christian. But allow me to be able to explain that phrase from a limited explanation from a human point of view. You know, have you ever been jealous? You know, for your wife or for your girlfriend or for your boyfriend? Uh, probably, right. Why would you be jealous for him or for her? Because you love them, right? And you want them for yourself. Now, I know that really sounds selfish, right? But if God is a jealous God, He wants you completely for Himself. And when you think about that, you'd actually think, Lord, you're so selfish. No, actually, when you come to think about that, if God loves you and He wants the best for you, then having Him and having you only for Him and you only pursuing Him would actually be the best thing for you. So His love for you actually restricts or constrains God. Well, not, not in a sense that God is, would be limited by anything, but you understand, God now wants you all for Himself because when you pursue only Him, that would be the best thing that could happen to you because if you pursue other things, then that usually is the beginning of your pain, of your hurt, and of, and, of, and of the usual problems that we go through in life. Let me give a few examples. Let's say you want love. You want to be loved. And you pursue love and find it from, say, other people, other places. And God's love for you is not enough. And because of that, you've experienced multiple failed relationships. It has left you broken. It has left you broken-hearted. It has brought trouble in your life. That's because of pursuing love from illegitimate places. Another example is provision. You see, God is the one who's able to meet your provision. But when we pursue, we trust in other things. And we trust in money, in our ability to pursue money. And where has that brought you? It has brought a lot of trouble into your life as well. Because you pursued money outside of God's ways. Another example would be dreams. Dreams pursued but in the process has drawn your heart away. They were not necessarily God's dreams for you, but they have drawn your heart away from God and now even cost you to enter into places of sin. When you come to think about that, each of these opportunities to be away from God, to pursue other things aside from God, has actually brought so much trouble into your life. And in that, God's heart is grieved, which is why God is jealous for you. He wants you only for himself. Because if you pursue only him, and not idols and idolatries, then you could experience the best abundant life that He has prepared for you. So what do we do with that? Well, God, we learned today that God judges idols and idolatry, and we must not persist in them. Rather, we must turn from them and surrender only to God. So we'd like to take the next moment now to be able to pray with you. If there's any area in this conversation that God has exposed in your heart that you feel like, Lord, I really need to give that up and turn from that sin, go ahead and take the next moments now to repent and surrender yourself wholly to God. And then we'll pray together. Lord, we pray together now. And we ask that you would hear those prayers, Lord, of surrender to you. Lord, we do ask for forgiveness for those areas in our lives that we pursued other things aside from you, that our hearts turned away from you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for sinning against you. Forgive us for pursuing idols. Forgive us for the idolatries of our heart. And Lord, we ask you now that you would cleanse us and heal us from these things. We surrender ourselves to you now. Lord, would you spare us from judgment? Let the fear of you Rest on each of us that we would not persist in anything that would be apart from you, Lord, so that we might be spared from even from your miraculous judgment. Lord, today, cause the fear of you to be so strong in our hearts so that we would pursue only you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and worship God again and continue to extol him as the anchor of our hearts.
1: Jesus. Jesus
0: Thank you, Lord. And we pray that God has ministered to you and strengthened you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We hope this helps you build a habit of hearing from God daily. For more messages like these, follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to watch these messages live every morning, visit us on facebook.com/victoryph